Most of us know Lord's Day 1 quite well. We may not know the scripture that it's based on, as all of the catechism is based on God's Word. So let's open the Bible to Romans 14. Verses 7 and 8 will be our text, but let's read the first eight verses together. Romans 14. Paul writes, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. David Slagle summarizes the plot of a movie called Antoine Fisher like this. Antoine Fisher is the true story of a young man abandoned at birth by an incarcerated woman who was raised in abusive orphanages, foster homes, and reform schools. After his 18th birthday, he joins the Navy, where his anger towards life brims to the surface. After several fights, he's ordered to undergo counseling. Psychologist Jerome Davenport, played by Denzel Washington, encourages Antoine to find his roots to begin healing. After several phone calls, he reaches one aunt and uncle in Cleveland who escort him to a dilapidated apartment complex where his estranged mother lives. A suspicious and aloof woman answers the door. Upon realizing that Antoine is the child she gave up at birth, she retreats to another room and sits down on a soiled and worn couch and cries silently. Antoine asks for some explanation as to why she never came to rescue him or why she never sought him out. She cannot answer. She simply stares ahead, not daring to look at him. Tears rolling down her expressionless face. He gently kisses her on the cheek as if to say, I forgive you, and walks away. His mother remains on the couch and stares at nothing, making no effort to respond. A despondent fisher leaves the apartment with his questions unanswered and rides back to his aunt's house with his uncle. What a sad story of someone who never found where he belonged. 
few, if any of us, have ever come from that sort of horrible circumstance where you don't know your father and your mother doesn't care about you seemingly. But we all still know what it's like not to fit in, not to belong, not to be loved and accepted by others. It's that feeling on the playground when you want to join in a game and then all of those already playing the game say, no more joiners. It's that ache in your stomach when you are cut from the team you wanted to belong to. It's that lonely feeling when you're standing in a church narthex and it's full of people visiting with each other, but nobody is visiting with you. It's a horrible, lonely feeling not to belong. But the story of Antoine Fisher thankfully doesn't end where I left off. David Slagle continues. He writes, as he exits the car, his slow gait betrays the loneliness of a man with no hope of a meaningful connection to anyone. As Antoine enters the front door, however, his world changes. He's met with a chorus of cheers from 50 plus relatives, all waiting to meet him for the first time. There are children, couples, cousins, uncles, and family friends all smothering him with hugs, slap on the back, slaps on the back, and beaming smiles. One cousin tells him his name is Edward and says, I'm named after your dad. And an older aunt squeezes his cheeks. Antoine takes it all in, overwhelmed. The hallway stairs are filled with kids holding up signs with his name scribbled next to Crayola sketch smiley faces and rainbows. He's then led into the next room where a grand feast is spread across a long table. The table is overflowing with chicken, mashed potatoes, pancakes, fruit salad, and every other possible dish. The room is prepared for a party. For the first time in his life, he is being adored. For the first time, he belongs. As the clamor quiets, an elderly woman sitting behind the table knocks to get Antoine's attention and then waves for him to come over next to her. With slow, deliberate moves, she raises her arms, grabbing his hands and then caressing his face. A slow tear runs down her cheek, and with a raspy voice that seemed as if it was mustering all the strength it possessed, she whispered with the redemptive invitation, Welcome. Love that. Antoine Fisher did belong. He had family. He just never knew who they were. And Christians, even if we lack that sense of belonging with other people, we always belong to God. God created us to belong. We were created to belong. God created Adam, not because he had to create a human being, but because he wanted to create a creature that he could have a relationship with that would be like him in some way. So he created Adam. And he created a beautiful world for Adam to enjoy. But the plants and animals weren't enough for Adam. So in Genesis 2.18, let's read the text together. 
Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And God made Eve. So now Adam belongs to God. He belongs to the garden, his home, and he belongs to his wife, Eve. That's the way God created human beings to flourish, to belong in all those sorts of ways. But sin and rebellion got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, so they're estranged from their home, they're estranged from God, and they're estranged from each other all of a sudden. And ever since that moment, we have all struggled a bit to belong. In fact, you might remember the curse that God gave Cain for murdering his brother Abel. He sent him away from his family and said, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain wouldn't have any place to belong. No family, no friends. You will be a restless wanderer the rest of your life. A horrible punishment. We were created to belong. And it's a blessing to belong. It's a blessing to belong to two parents who love you. It's a blessing to have even one parent who loves you. It's a blessing to have a home to come back to, whether you're away at school or gone on a trip. It's a blessing to have friends that accept you, a few people who know you well, enjoy being with you, and accept you for who you are. It's a blessing to have a spouse who knows and trusts you. And as we get older, it's a blessing to have children and grandchildren that will take care of us and watch after us. I can't tell you how many older people I visit with from this church who say, I am so blessed to have my children. They take good care of me. It's a blessing to belong to a good, loving family, and it's a blessing to belong to a good church like Hillcrest. To have a group of Christians who love and care for each other, who pray for and support one another, that is an amazing gift. And underneath all of this earthly belonging is a spiritual belonging because the greatest experience we will have is not belonging to other people, but belonging to Jesus. The Catechism says belonging to Jesus, body and soul, in life and in death, is our only comfort in life or in death. But what makes it so? What makes belonging to Jesus such an amazing thing? The Catechism says, He, Jesus, has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. So in other words, there's forgiveness when we belong to Jesus. When I was growing up in a neighborhood in Zealand, there was a kid in our neighborhood who was a little older than me who got into some trouble. His family didn't go to church much like most of the other people in our neighborhood. And so one Sunday evening about this time of night, he decided he would take a bar of soap and he would go around the neighborhood and soap everybody's windows. I don't know if you've ever done that or heard of anybody doing that, but it's a little hard to get soap off a window. No one likes to wash windows to begin with, much less having soap on them. 
But he did this all across the neighborhood and he picked the perfect time, Sunday night. When I grew up in Zealand, everyone went to church every Sunday, but everyone almost went to church twice every Sunday. So everyone was in church. Perfect time. He'll never get caught. But one of the neighbor ladies was home with a sick child and saw this hand on her window and she got up and looked and all of a sudden he's busted. So all the neighbors got together and decided, what do we do? They decided that rather than turning him into the police, that if as long as he was willing to clean up his whole mess, they wouldn't press charges. So this naughty kid had to go around to every house practically in the neighborhood and wash all their windows and clean up all the soap marks that he had left. And in the process, he learned a really important lesson. There's forgiveness when you belong to a neighborhood community. People didn't hold it against him. We all make mistakes and poor judgments, but sometimes you have to pay the consequences as well. And we are a lot like that kid in a spiritual sense. There's sin in our lives too, and somebody has to pay for it. Every time we fail to love God, every time we don't spend time in His Word, every time we fail to share Christ with neighbors who don't know Him, it is a sin. And someone has to pay for our sin. If we're not going to pay for it, we have to find somebody who will. And thankfully, God offered to pay for your sins and for mine. Because it would be hell to pay if we had to pay for them ourselves. But Jesus paid in our place. And he paid in full. That's the good news of the gospel that the Apostle John shares in 1 John chapter 2. Why don't we read this together? My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So one of the blessings of belonging to Jesus is the blessing of the forgiveness of sins. That is huge. Another blessing is freedom. There's freedom when we belong to Jesus. Paul writes in Colossians 1, For He, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says in John 8:36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the Catechism summarizes it like this, He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. We as humans often think that we're so independent that we decide what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. We're all on our own. We're these independent operators. But the truth is, all of us are heavily influenced by, controlled by in some instances, and in some instances even enslaved by someone or something either Jesus or Satan, ultimately. 
Satan will use his influence in our lives. He'll take our own sinful human nature and the lures of the world around us and pretty soon we are just lost in sin. Or we belong to Jesus. He bought us with his blood. And the world often thinks that freedom means that we can do whatever we want. I can do whatever I like. That's freedom. But if you've ever lived that way, even for a few moments, you find that isn't really very much freedom at all. Because when you just let your sinful human nature take control, you end up miserable. And you end up making everybody else around you equally miserable. So we're enslaved by sin. But when we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, we give Him control, we follow where He leads, all of a sudden there's joy, there's peace, there's blessing. True freedom is found in Jesus. He sets us free from the tyranny of the devil. Now, that doesn't mean the devil doesn't tempt us. It doesn't mean he doesn't try to discourage us. It doesn't mean he doesn't deceive us. He does. It's just that through Christ, we have the power to reject his lies, flee from his temptations, break his control, and resist him. He doesn't call the shots in my life. Jesus does. That's the way I choose to live. We have choices to make, but because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've been set free from the control and the tyranny of our enemy, the devil. A third blessing of belonging to Jesus is having him watch over and protect us. The Catechism says he watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. So there is security in belonging to Jesus. The psalmist says he watches over our coming and our going now and forevermore. And Jesus said that if God keeps track of and watches the sparrows, Aren't you a little bit more important to God than a bird? Absolutely. God keeps track of and watches over you. Now, that doesn't mean we never experience pain or struggle in our lives. We do. We still live in a broken world. We still struggle with our own sinful nature. But God takes somehow everything that happens to us and turns it to our good, and to His glory. It's hard to understand how exactly He does that. Sometimes we don't see how that's happening at the moment, but He does. And then one final blessing of belonging to Jesus is that He provides us with tremendous comfort. There's comfort when we belong to Jesus. And this includes everything we've said so far. There's forgiveness. He sets us free from the devil. He watches over us and protects us. He makes everything work for our good. But it also means He assures us that we belong to Him. He's always with us and He's got a place reserved for you and for me in heaven. Our text in Romans 14. Let's read it together. For none of us lives to himself alone, 
and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. John speaks a similar truth in John 10:28. He says, uh, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That is an amazing promise. No one can snatch us out of God's hand. Once God gets a hold of you and me, we can wander, we can stray, we can think we're doing our own thing for a while, but once God has a hold of us, He never lets us go. That is an amazing truth. So let me invite you to acknowledge and to celebrate the blessing of belonging tonight. The blessing of belonging to family and friends on this Father's Day as many gather with family today. The blessing even more so of belonging to Jesus Christ. We are forgiven through Him. We've been set free with Him. We have God always watching over us and we have this guarantee of a life to come with the One who loves us more than anyone else on earth. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. What a profound truth, Lord, that you have shared with us in your word tonight. Because one of the deepest, darkest struggles we face is not to belong, not to feel loved, not to feel accepted. And yet, Lord, that is never the case because when we know You and You know us, we will always belong to You. And when we belong to You, we belong to each other because You place us in families. You place us in church together. You give us to one another to love and care for each other. So, Lord, make us mindful of those around us who may not feel like they belong, who maybe don't feel like they fit in, help us to make them know that they are loved and that they're a part of our church family as well. But thank you most of all for welcoming us, for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we find redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that we belong to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.